Hey everybody, you're listening to Big Things with Zach Miko, and on today's episode, I sit down with actress, producer, and filmmaker, Taylor Coriel. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the theme song. All right, and welcome back, everyone, to Big Things with Zach Miko. As always, I am your host, Zach Miko. I hope everyone had a great week. I know I certainly did. Um, If you guys are new to the podcast, welcome, everyone. To I mean, I'm not going to say welcome to Big Things with Zach Miko again, but welcome, everybody. Um, For those of you who don't know... Uh, myself in this podcast was actually featured in a New York Times article this week uh, entitled Five People Who Can Help You Love Your Body. And it's a super huge honor to be included among this list. And uh, I don't know. I've been feeling all the love this week, so I'm very happy. The article was by an amazing writer named Emma Patty. And it the other people included are ultra marathon runner Myrna Valerio, um, Megan Jane Crab, um, author, influencer, you guys would know her as Body Posi Panda. Um, I was in it, obviously. Um, uh, model Mama Cax was in it, who's absolutely incredible. I actually got to see her accept an award at the Beauties this year at BeautyCon. She's an incredible person. And author Jess Baker, um, who you know created the Interactive and Fat photo series and has just gone on to be churning out books. Uh, and an amazing person. You'd know her as the Militant Baker. It's crazy that I'm included on these lists with these the most incredible women. And I'm just, I don't know, I'm overjoyed, guys. So thank you very much for all of your love and support. And all of you, or have like a standing invite to this show, just so you know. Myrna, Megan, Mama, and Jess, please come on one day. We would love it. Um, so yeah, so it's been a good week to say the least for me. Um, but we have and we have an even better episode for you guys today. I sit down with actress, producer, filmmaker Taylor Coriel. She's an apps. She's killing it in the game. You guys would know her. Right now, she uh, plays Pam in The Office, the musical parody, which is at the Jerry Orbach Theater in New York City, um, and and she's just killing the game. She has her web series, You're the Pest, which we're going to talk about. Uh, we actually met, um, she was the producer for my web series that didn't end up happening, but it didn't end up happening because of me and my partner's fault for the record. Um, but she was an amazing producer. She's produced many things since then. And we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about, you know, what it's like to try to grow up as a creative and what it's like to pursue a career in the arts. Not only that, but we're going to talk about women in film and representation in film and how far we've come yet, how far we definitely need to go. It's an amazing conversation. I'm going to start stop blabbing about it because we're just going to get to it. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, my interview with Taylor Coriel. Ladies 
Ladies and gentlemen, I am sitting here with actress, filmmaker, extraordinaire, producer. You do you do too much, actually. I do. Taylor Coriel, everybody. Hello. How you doing? I'm good. That's good. It's I'm tired. It's been a long day. I know. You, so so before you even came here, you were going to a premiere of something. Yeah. I didn't I, even ask you when you got here what it, what it, what it was. That's probably good because now we can talk about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it works out good. Um, I uh, I've recently started directing more. Awesome. And um, this was for uh, it was a screening of um an episode of a web series that I directed. Um, that my friend, my good friend Misha Calvert created. It's called Step Into My Office. <gasps> Wait a second. Um, I was in that. Were you? No. <laughs> you definitely weren't in my episode. I wasn't in your episode. I think I was episode. in the pilot. Really? Yeah. I, I think that think was the so. name of it. No. I'm almost, no. Step Into My, no, sorry, sorry. <laughs> different one. Different one, different one, different one. I've worked with Misha. Yeah. And I worked with her oh. in an office thing, but that was for um, a, a film festival slash film contest sort of thing. Oh, okay, yeah. Stephanie, my office is the one she does where the where the essentially roles are reversed. Sex roles mm-hmm. are reversed in the office. Yeah. So basically, she had collected stories for a while from friends that had to do with um, their sexist male bosses, whether it was yeah. an interview situation or a situation that they um, that happened at work. And they were just so ridiculous, and she decided that it would be funny and slightly more palatable uh, to flip the roles. So, totally. um, so basically, that's what she did. And so uh, there were she directed most of the episodes in the first season, but she yeah. was acting in one, and she asked if I would come direct. Hell yeah! So, um, so we just screened at the I think it's the New York City Independent Film Festival today. That's awesome. Yeah, and I think it's she said uh, earlier it's gonna air in june so that'll be festive and that's fun. awesome that's awesome yeah. no she's great she had told me about that project. i think i totally. mixed them all together she was working on that project mm-hmm. when i did a small office film thingy for i her. think it was probably um like one of her sundance pitches or that's something. i think what it was I, fe- I feel like yes i feel like i remember this but yeah that's awesome yeah so, so how was it did it was there a red carpet you get to do all the fancy premiere there stuff there was a red carpet actually. <laughs> that's what i love about that i was stuff. like i kind of ran late but we did we did the red carpet afterwards so it was fun and it's always nice i we there were some really great uh projects in the in the in the festival block that we were in, so I got to watch all those. That's, That's awesome. always kind of the most fun part. Totally, we were yeah. just we just went to Tribeca Film Fest. Um, a friend of ours mm-hmm. had a film in it. Yeah, and it was the same thing, but it was a short film, so we got to watch like a block of a yeah. bunch of them. It's the best part. Oh, there yeah. was one that I think it was called. Well, for one, our friend Justin made a film called Peggy, which was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but there was one in the block. That called Forty Minutes Over Maui. Mm-hmm. That was one of the funniest short films I've ever seen yeah. in my entire life. It's just a couple in their fifties mm-hmm. in on vacation talking about going to the buffet and getting ready and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, both of their phones go off, and it's that alert that says missiles inbound to Hawaii. Oh my this gosh. is not a drill. <gasps> Take shelter. Blah blah. Because remember when that happened? Remember? No. That happened. No. So there was a, um, it was a scare, uh, like probably a year ago. Every, the, was it real? Yeah. Well, it was a real problem. Oh. <laughs> what happened was the um, everyone in Hawaii, the national alert system was just like, there are inbound rockets to Hawaii right now. 
everyone takes shelter. This is not a drill over and over again. Oh like, gosh. like, you know, impact imminent. Yeah. It's coming. And what happened was, so for 40 minutes, everyone in Hawaii thought they were about to be nuked out of the world. Oh my gosh. And they were just like, and it was chaos. That is such a fun concept. Until... 40 minutes later, <laughs> they got, even though it said, this is not a drill, impact imminent, blah, blah, blah. Then everyone's phones went off again, like, disregard the the, the alert. Everything's fine. Like, the story, I don't know what actually happened. Yeah, but the there story, had to have been something. But the story they went with was, sorry, someone pressed the wrong button. <gasps> no. I was like, what do you mean? Oh, you know some shit was going down uh, on that. Something was Ooh, happening. Something, something big t- was happening. But it was <gasps> so, it was the funniest thing. Because this couple, you know, it's an older couple, and immediately the first thing they do is like, you think of what I'm thinking? And the <laughs> wife jumps into bed to like, you know, like, oh, yeah, let's do this. And the husband grabs the tray of like the mini bar items. Uh-huh. And he's and like, they're like, we're going to go And he's down. like, think about it. We don't have to pay for this. <laughs> oh, it was so God. funny. He pulled, he pulled, he like took out a recording mm-hmm. where um, he had recorded her on his iPhone like four years ago saying if the world was about to end that he would that like, she would have these a are th- the things she would have a threesome so he goes like running in the hallway just looking like anyone, for anybody anyone. oh it's so funny oh that's awesome. it's so funny that's what's fun about those blocks is because like you totally. don't you don't think you're you have no idea yeah you're, you're just there to like see scene. your friend's thing or like your thing or whatever exactly but that's what's so great because like in the last year I've gotten to gotten to go to a lot of festivals with indie content yeah and everybody's always saying like you know there's no new ideas out there well they've never been to an indie film festival oh my God. and especially like now that that web series are sort of picking up as like yeah. a legitimate more legitimate form of anything than they were Highly even legitimate. five years ago well, and like it's it's not only are they more well produced, but like because they're they're like a little bit more legitimate now. Like yeah. people, like festivals have been around for longer, so they're just like their selection process is totally amazing, and so you get to go and see these like really crazy ideas for shows that maybe they would never ever work in like a I longer know. format. That's what's fun um, about yeah. web series. And it's fun. Like I remember even doing web series. It's been a long time since I've done one. <laughs> yeah, but like. Um, Years ago, like when I was doing, like five years ago, mm-hmm. you mentioned when I was doing web series, there was something so like raw and kind of crazy about it because yeah. it was this new thing and totally. No one, and, and, and even They've people are looking at you, they're for like, a while, but but long time. but people like just now start. I feel like there's just everybody's making one. Yeah, you know, everybody has a web series, everybody has a podcast. Oh, I know. Welcome <laughs> you know, to my. Welcome, everybody welcome has a podcast. <laughs> Listen, podcast. I've thought about going back into the um, the web series, the web world. series world. Many, yeah. many. I mean, actually, you know this. Um, Taylor was producing <laughs> a web series that was being written by me and my comedy partner Karen Bray, and then we just stopped. It, like it fell, it fell all the way to the it bottom, fell all the way apart. Like, I still. Yeah. So the other day, I got reminded because I can't remember the app we were using. We were using some sort of a co-writing app where mm-hmm. like four of us could all be on the same draft. Sure, yeah. And I don't remember what it was, but I got like an alert to like update my password. And I was like, oh. You're like, oh. I was like, there's like six full episodes oh. written there. <laughs> I was like, I got to pull these off the cloud or wherever yeah. the hell I was stored. thinking about that show the other day. 
but I guess it's it's dead forever now. I guess I don't know if it's dead forever. Just because Karen moved doesn't mean it'll. Yeah. So so Karen moved to Florida, but um, the original idea behind it, for those of you who don't know, is I was in a comedy duo <laughs> called the Dreamstocks, where we were a fake children's band who sang uh, horrifically blunt songs to the children, and it was great. And so we started writing They're a really web funny. series about it. And, and you can watch the video, like your your videos on. Yeah, no, we have a couple music videos. So up not the there. show because we never made the show yeah. yet. We've never made, yet. We haven't made the show Listen, yet. Listen, <laughs> I just remember you trying to rein us in because Karen and I had never written a show before. Yeah. So we just went off the rails. I believe so that there. I ran across the other day. I don't know where. Maybe I was like looking back through my Instagram. There's definitely a text exchange with Zach, a screenshot of a text exchange. Oh yeah. About a ball pit. Yeah. They wanted a ball pit. He was like, how much do you think a ball like, pit is going to run us? And I was like, too much, Zach. Too I know, much. I know. Taylor's trying to be like a good producer and be like, listen, this is a shoestring budget thing. We're go, you know, we're self-funding. We're yeah. And I was just like, nah. And we can get a meanwhile, ball pit I'm writing in heavily choreographed, like tranquilizer gun fights and like it was so the whole thing it it should have just there's plenty of stuff to go on and us just being children's performers but immediately karen and i were like we're recruited by the cia to take out to take out it's funny it's funny that was right away what we're like that's that's the idea this is all a long video this like whole podcast is just us like getting to pitching your patreon campaign exactly we're just going back basically what we're doing we spent the last (laughs) 10 minutes talking about this is leading up to us asking you to donate to our our student spark patreon indiegogo what have you speaking of which 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 ones do which ones is the best to use like of those because I it depends on what you're doing because I think I've donated to all of them I have too I've definitely donated to but Seed and Spark I feel like is newer ish I use Seed and Spark for my show yeah well I use Seed and Spark for the second crowdfunding campaign that I ran for my show mm-hmm. um I like I when I, I always recommend it to filmmakers this is not an ad this yeah, is not no, a ha- no. not a hashtag ad. We are not <laughs> affiliated with Seed and Spark, but you know if they do good things. But that's I am. Um, but if you're a filmmaker, I like Seed and Spark the best because one, I feel like the way that they set up how you follow up with the people who follow your campaign. Yeah. I feel like it's more conducive for filmmaking in general, just the way that updates go out, um, and just like the way that the the page is structured in general. That's number one. Number two is. You know, for my first crowdfunding campaign for my show, I used Indiegogo. And it was not a successful campaign. And I think that part of the reason, one, was because I personally didn't realize how much work has to go into a crowdfunding it's campaign. It's insane It has to be – if you don't have a crowd on either side yeah. of the campaign, meaning the people running it and the people giving to it, it just doesn't work. And so by the time I ran my seed in Spark, I had a little bit more of a supportive team – but I basically just gave over my life to doing it for a month. It was like my day job was it's crazy. was running my crowdfunding campaign, and um, but Seed and Spark definitely made it easier. They give feedback, but I will say that when people are going to those platforms, like unless you're giving to your friends' campaign, people who go to Seed and Spark are there looking to fund a film or yeah. a web series or a short or a music video. They're looking to find a filmmaker that they like. Yeah. And when you go to Indiegogo, that's like tech. 
you know, people who go Which to look didn't on used Indiegogo. Because Indiegogo started as a purely way to finance films. Totally. And then it is it's now just it's like its buying a jacket thing. that makes you a sandwich while you hike. Like it's starting to become very <laughs> Kickstartery. Yeah, totally. Definitely. But Kickstarter even it's like I used to shy away from crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. Like I remember trying to get so we kickstarted um our comedy album mm-hmm. when I was when for our first Dreamstocks comedy album. Mm-hmm. And Karen and I both did not want to do it oh, because it was so also hard. brand new back then yeah. and it felt like begging. Totally. And that's why I didn't want to do it. Like it felt like begging. It felt illegitimate to mm-hmm. me. It felt like I was like, this is just a weird way to ask our friends and family to give us money. Yeah. And that's the way it felt it at totally the time. It totally does. But it was also so early and all like in the crowdfunding genius of the world. Now everybody does it. Yeah. Now it's part of like your business plan totally. from the very beginning. Well, like, and and one of the things, and I think it was um, Christina, I think her, I always say her last name wrong. I think it's Raya or Raya. I think it's Raya. Okay. She's like the community manager at Seed and Spark. Yeah. Or at least she was when I was running mine. And she gave, um, she they give you notes on like your campaign and like your video and like how it goes. But they also have like training videos for how to run your crowdfunding campaign. And one of the things that, she talked about with me was the fact that like having a fan base and I think that like we can all relate to this as like artists now having a fan base or like people who just want to follow you and see what you do because they like what you have to say yeah is so valuable and so Seed and Spark was a great way of you know and crowdfunding in general is a great way to find the people who want to watch your stuff yeah and I remember when I started my second crowdfunding campaign on Seed and Spark I took my mailing list from Indiegogo and just sent them a thing saying like I'm starting a Seed and Spark and yeah. it was like oh wow I don't have to start from scratch again I know I have this 150 people that yeah. like donated or followed the campaign the first time and now I don't have to start from zero people I have 150 and now I can build from that I know so, it, it's it's so ugh, I would not I get but I still even um, thinking about yeah, it but would, it's so important I would not wish I would not wish crowdfunding on my worst enemy I know when people ask me about it I'm like no <laughs> so let's go back to how you even got here because <laughs> yeah. we, we dove I feel we like dove head first into I feel like we just went back into like business as usual back when you were my producer <laughs> <laughs> like we went right, right into that yeah. so sorry for the business meeting everybody but, um, <laughs> we so, had to catch up it's been a while <laughs> exactly so um you're from kentucky i'm from kentucky originally yes. where where in kentucky are you lexington from? lexington so was not gonna, louisville well, that's the thing i almost said louisville but i'm like i know it start i i, it I knew it started with, with an, an l, l. Okay. Yeah, no, those are the two big cities in Kentucky. Louisville is where the Derbies run. Yeah. So that's where um, Churchill Downs is. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of a lot of the area between Lexington and Louisville and then a lot of the area surrounding Lexington are the horse farms that breed the thoroughbreds that go to the... To I love the... the way you say Louisville. So say it. Louisville. So that's that's apparently is how it's said because for me, I'm like Louisville. Ah, good yeah, old Louisville, Louisville, Louisville. Uh, there's a million ways, Louisville. but Louisville. It's just just swallow Louisville. all of the consonants. Well, we're Southern. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, so you grew up around there. So when did, did you move to New York? Actually, yesterday was my seven-year New York anniversary. Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. Um, coming up, coming on up. So yeah. you moved here like lots of us did in order mm-hmm. to pursue the the great Broadway the, yes, of the, some sort. The great, the great white way. 
And um, so, so I'm assuming you did um, musical theater in high school as well. You didn't just jump into college I and did be not. like, I'm going to be an actor. <laughs> no, I, um, so I went, I started doing musical theater when I was 10. Okay. Um, and then I went to a performing arts middle in high school. Um, so I was a voice major in sixth and seventh grade, and then I switched to the You had theater. a major in sixth and seventh grade? <laughs> we did. We did. What? It was a, so in the high school, it went, uh, the school was called the School for Creative and Performing Arts. Okay. And it went from fourth grade through twelfth grade. I came in at sixth grade. Um, and uh, in the middle school, you had a major and a minor, and you had those, uh, you had your major every day and your minor three days out of the week, and then the other two days were like... Um, elective classes so like um, we had to study you know if you even if you weren't a visual art minor then you had to still study it and you had to do a drama elective and you had to do a music elective and and all that stuff Um, so anyway yeah so and then once I got to high school we were on the block system but we still had our majors every day so it took up two of my eight blocks Um, and this seems like just way more complicated than the way it, most people do middle school and high school. But, you know, um, I look back at it because it was a, it was a much smaller, um, uh, you know, the middle school, the elementary through middle school wasn't a magnet program. It was just its own school on its own. And um, not only did I get to like study theater as or like, you know, just like I would I had an inclination for it totally. um, early. And um and we did it every day, but also they would integrate the arts into our core subjects. And in a lot of ways, and my mom will say this too, she was like, I think that that was honestly the best part of it for you because yeah. it helped, it like catered it towards sort of how I learned. Well, the best. It kept, yeah, it kept things interesting. <laughs> yeah, for you. totally. I mean, we've all been in mm-hmm. algebra yeah. and just been like, I'm going like, to lose Yeah, my you mind. don't know what's going on. And, and a lot of times for me, connecting the dots comes through being creative. And I think yeah. that's what was so great is not only that they catered uh, the learning, like the learning technique or style to, the students, but also I was surrounded by like-minded kids and and whatever. Um, and we didn't have sports. Uh, we had pep rallies for our speech team. Get out. I will not get out. We did. That is great. Like... I'm glad you guys still had pep rallies. <laughs> yeah, we had pep rallies. Pep rallies were always just a great way to get There were out no of cheerleaders. For a little bit. Wait, what? Then what were, were you like, then what were, were you like, pepping? One, we didn't have a gym. We had like a multi-purpose room. Okay. We, we also didn't have a theater. <laughs> Um, Time out! You're performing arts. I know, school, and dude. it's insane. We actually still don't this even have a theater. This is in Kentucky. But but <laughs> I mean, that, but that we one. actually well, we actually worked at the Lexington Opera House. I don't know if oh, you've okay. ever been there. No, 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 I have not. So so whenever it. we had show, like whenever it was time for a show, unless it was a straight play, then we would use like there's a um, um, time out. Chinese foods here. What? Sorry, there was Chinese food, and now. Uh, it's being and eaten. now we have it and now we ha- <laughs> now we have so it. so now you can listen to us eat it what's that called again the sounds asmr like- <laughs> people do asmr i know this is this you're welcome an asmr do they need of- to know what we're eating to make it like i'm hot? having general says chicken and dumplings and i'm having broccoli with garlic sauce i know and now you'll hear us eat and it. Now you'll hear us eat it. <laughs> except you're not because you're going to tell me more about <laughs> you being in kentucky yeah so um, yeah, so like whenever we had um, play, like whenever there was a straight play, we there was a black box, like a black box theater downtown. Yeah. Um, and then whenever 
uh, it was a musical, we used the opera house. So it kind of didn't matter that we didn't have our own theater. Yeah. Because we got this like incredible learning lab sort of situation. Um, and then when I was in high school, I started um, working backstage more and, and um, stage managing. And that's actually what I was going to go to school for. Well, that's what so, I was going to ask. Like now when you're yeah. going to a perform an art, like performance arts school, mm-hmm. for example, I went in high school to... Um, I spent half the day, it was like a weird like regional thing, where I spent half the day at a place called Bridgeport Aquaculture. Mm-hmm. Well, it was actually Bridgeport Aquaculture in a vocational technical school mm-hmm. or something. Too many words. Where um, I learned about marine sciences and oh, my cool. whole plan. Because I wanted to be a marine biologist. Uh-huh. And I was dead set knowing that's what I was going yeah, to yeah, do. Yeah. And I feel like when you go to one of these, like either vocational or technical or even art schools mm-hmm. as kids, that's like definitely what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And that's why you decided. Did so did you always know you wanted to perform or was it more like you just wanted to be involved in the world? It's so funny that you say that because I guess I never really felt like it was a training ground for us. I think everybody had like a sincere interest, but I think I'm the only person from my graduating class who's actually doing the thing. Get out. Um, I'm trying to think. Think really, I can't really think of anybody else. Oh, my friend Caroline, um, she's um, she's like a, she she's a writer and has has stuff going around too. Um, but other than she and I, I don't really think that there's anybody doing much. But but um, you're about to get a bunch of guess, angry DMs. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, I'm still pursuing. Yeah, I'm exactly. I'm I do exactly. improv. Like, Please don't hate me if I forgot. About, I know. If I forgot about you. Um, but you were gonna do um, stage oh, management yeah, so, instead. Yeah, I guess around. I I always loved doing it, and it was. I was a busy kid. Yeah. Because <laughs> I used to be a figure skater. I was a competitive figure skater um, until I graduated high school. So I skated in the mornings before school, and then I went to school, and then Crazy. I would, <laughs> and then I would go to rehearsal afterwards for whatever show I was doing, and. Um, Around the time I was 16, I did, um, I did, uh, there was like a Shakespeare, like an outdoor Shakespeare festival in town, Uh and I did the Tempest with them, and there was a day program that ran for high schoolers, and that was like kind of, they brought in artists, that's what it was, they brought in teachers um, who were from the community who had gone to the high schools that, you know, that we all had gone to. Because it wasn't just a, it wasn't a school-specific thing. It was a community thing. So there were kids from other high schools who were at this program. And, but all of these people were off in L.A., like, as motion capture artists or fight choreographers or, um, you know, uh, somebody was was finishing up... um, with the city company, Anne Bogart's, you know, had been studying with Anne Bogart and stuff. And so they all came back and it, it all of a sudden became like a very real possibility for me to be a, a th- like an artist, like a theatrical artist of some kind. Yeah. Um, but by then I, I had sort of really gotten into stage managing um, and not as much performing in school. I was doing a lot of uh, more community things, but not um, stuff as much in school. Um, but I was stage managing and I liked it, so I was gonna go to uh, I was gonna go to school and get a BFA in stage management, and then I was still singing a lot. Um, and my voice teacher at the time was like, "You should audition for you shouldn't give this up. Um, you should audition for voice programs." And it was so late in the year, yeah. Um, but she snagged me on audition at the University of Kentucky. Um, which was a very scary audition <laughs> because yeah. they had like they had already done 
So, like, the University of Kentucky has, like, a heavy opera program and classical music. And so they were having callbacks for their fall opera. And they were doing La Traviata, which is a crazy, like, soprano show. And uh, that was the only time that the faculty was all gathered together. So I had to go in and sing my little Mozart piece after all of these, like, doctoral candidate Jesus. sopranos had sung through, like, the 15-minute, like, yeah. crazy aria from <laughs> Traviata. And so I'm, like, sitting out in the corridor, like, shaking and, like, oh, like, oh I must God. have been white as a sheet. But, um, but yeah, so then I went to school for, for opera and classical music. That's crazy. I mean, that's awesome. And that's, that's... not what I do now. <laughs> no, I know. That, that's, that's uh, now you're so doing weird. everything else. Yeah, well, I kind <sighs> of, opera is... I love opera and it always will have a special place in my heart. It is a difficult business. And that's funny to say coming from a musical theater or just theater in general. Yeah. Um, it's all difficult. But um, whenever you go into the arts, and I'm sure you'd agree, you have to like love what you're doing. Totally. Or you'll quit. Oh, I and, said from um, the very beginning, I was just like... it. Some people will like go into the gutters. I was like, as long as I can pay bills, mm-hmm. I was like, I don't have to live luxury. As exactly. long as I can eat and keep a food, like, keep some sort of roof over my head, mm-hmm. which was preferably like one that's like a house, not like a cardboard box. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But it was always a room. Like yeah. that's the thing. When I was pursuing it more than I am now, I guess I don't know. My life's weird. It doesn't make sense. Your life is but, very like, weird. But like when I was when I was doing <laughs> the audition, like every morning, the see pavement, what the, like, oh, the like grind. just pound in the doors. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, as long as I can pay for a, you know, a one bedroom inside a four bedroom somewhere with exactly. people I sort of know, mm-hmm. like that's uh, then I'll just do yeah. it forever. That's always what I've said is that I, I want to just be able to be I, like when I moved here, I said I wanted to be a working actor. And I think that's the only reason that my mom didn't freak out is <laughs> because I was like, you said I don't, working. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be like famous, you know, because yeah. that concerned a lot of people. Same. And it know? did the same but it like I just wanted to be I think able that's to what also, pay my bills. Yeah, but yeah. I think that's also what comes with um, someone who comes from more of a theater background mm-hmm. is no like there's seven famous theater actors. Yeah, at, like, seriously, like, and so everybody does like, everything now, even more than ten years ago. Like, exactly. When, so I think when, it's like when you were doing theater, you were like, especially as a young person. I mm-hmm. know it was for the love of the art totally. more than anything else. Totally. I wasn't like, I'm gonna be a movie star. Mm-hmm. I was just well, and like, that's why they say if you can do anything else, do do that other thing. Yeah. Because and it's just there's been so it's so funny. There's always so many opportunities, and I don't know if you found the same thing, but there's always an opportunity to get a get a job get a day job oh, or, or something and then every single time that's happened to me in the last seven ten years whatever every single time it happens something is like nope you're still supposed to be doing this and it's like there's that thing there's that thing like i can't do this other thing because i have to do this because that's what happens is because you i feel like as especially because a lot of theater people are very um you know they're people persons they're Mm -hmm. people people Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're they're very much people people they're very well spoken Mm -hmm. because they literally learned how to do it Mm -hmm. from teachers and they carry themselves well so because of that and you kind of are just given opportunities Mm -hmm. to do anything else yeah exactly you said i think everyone i know has gotten to the point where that's usually when a lot of a lot of theater people end up opting out is because someone ends up offering them a real good job yeah. with like benefits and stuff. And that's the and thing like, is that every time that that's happened to me, and it's happened in like really crazy ways in the last two years probably for me, 
where I've literally been handed a full-time job and been like, you know what? I think, I think it's time. Like, and then some, something will come out of left field and it'll be like, that's what you thought. Like, you're wrong. And, um, it's been, it always seems simpler, but I think people who work in the creative field, there's also this drive Mm -hmm. in the back of our heads. That's like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. There's something about having, because I've looked at that too, where it makes sense. Mm -hmm. I was like, I can get a job at like an ad agency and be like a person who just does these things and you go home and go and there's happy hours with everybody and like and there's company retreats and and like corporate credit cards and it's like a good life and I can do (laughs) that. But then I like I see some like I so many of my friends I see and they're in their jobs and they're doing very well Mm -hmm. and they're very happy. Mm -hmm. But I always think I'm like I would lose. I would lose my mind. I would lose it every single time I try to do it. I lose my mind. And like the funniest thing, and this is you said you wanted to talk about the office. Yeah. And um, for listener, if you don't know, I'm in the off Broadway musical parody version of the office. We said that in the intro. Yeah. Well, I I haven't recorded yet. I play. (laughs) Oh, oh, there's an intro. There's an intro. Um, There will be an intro. Um, Well, I play Pam. Yeah. Um, and, Which is um, funny. Yeah. So you spent your whole life avoiding uh, corporate office situations, yeah. and now you play <laughs> in a parody of a parody of the office. Yeah. That's also weird that you're doing a parody of you a know, parody of real life. Everybody says that. Everybody says that. But the thing is, is that I try to remember. So, like, The Office, the TV show, is a parody of everyday, like, a really boring office job. Yeah. The Office, the musical parody is a parody of the TV show, The Office. Exactly. So that's where, like, when people are like, how are you going to do a parody of a parody? I'm like, let me just, let's um, just You're doing go a parody back. of a satire, actually. <laughs> well, <laughs> he's not wrong. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, like, when I when I booked the show, it's been almost a year. It'll, yeah. It'll be a year. We opened um, for previews in September of 2018. Um, but I got my offer at the end of June of 2018 and it was so funny i'd been working for this biotech company for about a year and a half of course auditioning doing all this stuff and i had they had offered me a full-time position which i had taken for a couple months and then randomly this is another example i randomly got offered this job as a an office pa for a hulu show um which I took yeah. because I was like, oh, well, this is cool. And they just let me go. And then three months later, I came back once the pilot was done. Um, and then six months later, I booked the office. And it was so weird because I'm, I guess I guess I could say this on this podcast. Yeah. I um, I so I was working there and the day of my callback. So like I went to the I went in for my open call like or the appointment that I had gotten for it. And I did my piece and whatever. And they call me back. They send me the sides, whatever. And the day that I was going in for the callback, I had to work that morning. Uh-huh. And I go in, and there was a company-wide meeting. And basically, they were talking about a company restructure. And two hours before my callback for the office, I got fired. I'm sorry, I got <laughs> laid off from my office job. And I was like, well, God, God damn it, if I don't book this, then I don't got a job. Oh, my God. And so, um, and so I went in for, um, and so I went in, I like, I uh, ignore that sound. 
Sorry. There's okay. no way for me to turn it on. It literally just, uh, some, sorry, something popped up to say Yankees win on my Huzzah, computer, which is great. Won. I'm a Yankees fan. I know no one listening is a Yankees <laughs> fan, because if you're not a Yankees fan, you hate the Yankees. That's probably true. So. Um, but yeah, so like I, I got laid off, um, which was a first for me. Um, and uh, and I could totally see it coming. As soon as the meeting started, I was like, oh, I'm not going to have a job in like two hours. Um, and then Jeez. I went to my callback. And then luckily the next day I was already supposed to leave to go on a writer's retreat for this other show that I, I was working on. And all weekend I was like, I wonder if I got it. Gosh, I hope I got it. Gosh, I hope I got it. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then sure enough, like three days afterwards, the offer came in and I was like, if that is not a sign from the universe that Fuck I'm doing yeah. the thing that I'm supposed to be doing, then I don't know what is. And like now I think that that particular instance on top of a couple of other things, just like this whole last year has been really great for me in a lot of ways. And um, I think it all like sort of coalesced into being like the big sign that I needed that like please quit trying to distract yourself by I taking a, a, a nine to five job and just do the thing that you're supposed but to you're be doing. But you're taking the nine to five job to eat and to have a roof yeah, and all that. That's the problem. But it, it problem. is. It's because we all had that talk as like performers especially when you first move to the city you're like mm-hmm. if i could dedicate everything to this yeah i could do so well yeah totally. but i have to work 40 50 hours a exactly. week and i have to do all these things well and that's what's been so great about about the office in general is that it has sort of become my office job for yeah. lack of a better way to put it you know um i still um Every once in a while, like, I'll take a, a temp or I'll pick up a catering shift or something like that just to have extra money. But um, but it's like I'm taking the time to write and to, like, work on other people's projects and sort of try to build a life as a creative professional instead yeah. of somebody who temps and, and also auditions them. Now I can just be like, I'm in an off-Broadway show. And now I can like use my days to help other people with their scripts or take on producing projects or directing as I've newly started doing. So that's awesome. So it's definitely a dream. And as Andy Bernard says towards the end of the uh, the office. Um, I wish you, I could, somebody would tell you you're in the good old days while you're in them. So I'm trying to like realize like, know. this is, this is one of the times it's the good old days. Like, oh, think you, about it like did, this. I, listen, I remember, uh, my first tour ever. Mm-hmm. I did children's theater tour. Oh yeah. And I remember I talking to myself tour. and being like, at the time it felt like for one, it felt great. Cause it was the first time I was being paid to be an actor. I remember talking to Such one. Such a good feeling. Oh my God. It, mm-hmm. it, it changes it. It legitimizes Even all all the not, weird things you've done your whole life. Enough. And it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah, I was paying, getting paid not. like nothing. Yeah, but you still uh, like you're like, oh, like okay, this is like the first step. Somebody, at least I made it here. Like somebody is gonna pay me to do the thing. I remember being on a break from the tour, and I went. Um, Back to what tour was it? Can you say uh, King Arthur and the Magic Sword? Oh my God! Who um, are you? Who are I played the sword? No, <laughs> I played. Um, <clears throat> Two roles, I, three roles. I was the like, I was the like super swing dude, essentially. Sensible. Um, so I played the Black Knight, the uh, Sir Gawain, mm. and someone else. Oh, the and the sword. Evil Knight. I'm forgetting it. Literally, just the Evil Knight. So Good. Sir Gawain, the Evil Knight, mm-hmm. and the Black Knight. Nice. Black Knight is not evil. Black Knight just wanted people not 
being on his land, mm-hmm. and people kept going on his land, so the he had to kill him. Evil characters never think they're evil. He was not evil. The <laughs> evil knight was evil. The evil knight would give, as it says in the name, terrible like riddles and stuff. Good. I can't remember. And I remember that's why he's evil because he I gives turned him jokes. slowly into. Um, just the French knights from Monty Python and the Holy Perfect. Grail. As... And that's just the way I played that character. <laughs> it was awesome. I had a blast I doing feel like, it. I feel like doing a children's theater, like loading everything in a van exactly. is like, I feel like that's a rite of passage. I did. I grew so much as a person totally. having to do that. I did um, an opera outreach tour that ran, runs out of my um, alma mater, the University of Kentucky. Um, and it's sort of like a pastiche. So like pastiche is like taking melodies from like other like pieces and putting new words to them or something like that's a very like a parody terrible, that's like a <laughs> terrible way to explain it um i should probably have <laughs> weird al yankovic the great pastiche <laughs> the great pastiche artist weird al yankovic <laughs> um but like um anyway like so Basically, it was Little Red Riding Hood, yeah. but they took famous arias and put, like, English words that served the story of Little Red Riding Hood to it. Okay. Um, and I played Little Red Riding Hood. It was called Little Red's Most Unusual Day. Um, and we toured it all over Kentucky, and truly, it was one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. Because we went to, like, some—I I have a lot of feelings about Kentucky— um, I love it. It's so beautiful, and it's just so when we were on rife with um, with issues. When I was on King Arthur, we I I almost decided not to leave. I can't remember. Yeah. I don't know where we were. It's in truly Kentucky, magical. But there was one thing where I just remember we're like driving on our way to this <laughs> theater slash school slash whatever it was, and we're going through. You guys can't see what like, he's doing right now, but his hands are just like making winding roads just and hills. these amazing winding yep. roads and hills it's, and farms and yep. stuff. And I remember. And of so course, green. since when you're doing children's theater, a lot of the time you are performing at schools. Mm-hmm. So you have to get up before the sun rises yeah. to get to your school. Mm-hmm. Um, because your first performance is at 8.30, 830 in, the in the morning, morning. which is insane. Oh, yeah. I learned to sing real high, real early yeah. in the morning. Oh, same. And then we, um, I just remember going, we're winding through and the sun starts to rise. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this is so beautiful. And there's these rolling hills and huge pastures. And I remember getting to the top of a hill and looking over. And like right next to the car was just a cow. Yeah. And then I remember it looked over and it fucking smiled at me. Yeah. And I was just like, I'm never I'm leaving never this place. Leaving. <laughs> and that was like my thing. I'm just like, I'm never leaving. I'm getting a horse and a dog. Yep. And this is where I'm going to live forever. Yeah. And then we were there for a little longer. And I was like, okay, I can go yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, it's really beautiful. It has a lot of issues, probably to not get into on this podcast, but yeah. suffice it to say, it's worth a conversation. Um, and I'm happy to have it with anybody. Exactly. Just not exactly this moment. But um, <laughs> but one of the most rewarding things, we performed for over 25,000 children in the state of Kentucky. And Kentucky is difficult to navigate in a lot of ways, and which is why I pointed out like all the hills and oh, switchback yeah. roads. Oh, you it's have. crazy! It's insane. And that is especially part of, driving like a big box truck totally. with all the sets. Oh, you're man, like, I don't know how it's we're gonna. Difficult. You think you're gonna flip all the time? And and somewhat, you know, the the topography of Kentucky somewhat uh, contributes to how sheltered the communities there are in mm-hmm. some ways. Um, but we would drive down these switchback roads into these little tiny towns and we would do the show and a lot of times teachers would say to us if like thank you guys so much for coming today if you guys don't come back 
this will be the only, this is the first and probably will be the only live performance that these students will ever see. Absolutely. And I was like, that enough is, that's, that's enough for me. how difficult this tour That's is. what got me about doing children's tours more <laughs> yeah. than anything else. So our tour, when we did um, King Arthur, mm-hmm. um, we'll just stick to that one. When I was doing King Arthur, um, we were, it was a regional tour. Uh-huh. So it was just the Southeast. Nice. So we toured... 13 states Mm -hmm. or something like that but it was all the states that me like being from connecticut and then moving to new york it was a shock like you know we did you gotta you gotta have a passport um, to go down there new orleans was our home base and new Mm -hmm. orleans was awesome and that was exciting totally but then you know we only did that we were just there for rehearsals and came back a couple times during the year yeah then we went through mississippi alabama georgia tennessee kentucky Arkansas, mm-hmm. Texas. Very different than it is up here. It's so different. And In I a didn't, lot of ways. <clears throat> and I didn't expect it. And that was the big thing is all these kids were that, that we were performing at these schools. And the kids didn't even know what theater was. Yeah. And they had no vocabulary. Like mm-hmm. people would come up to us afterwards and they'd be like, thank you for your movie. We really liked your video. And we were You're just like, like what? We're literally standing in front of you. But because that that's the closest thing yeah, they, they ever saw. They couldn't, And it was exactly, most of the kids we performed for had never seen theater before. Mm-hmm. And it was the same, and they said the same. They're like, if you don't, if this group doesn't come back next year, they won't, they won't ever see theater. Yeah. And it was amazing. They couldn't, but a lot of times, because obviously it was like a 45 minute show. Yeah. And then they got to do like questions afterwards and one they would ask me how old I was and when I told them that you don't ask a lady that <laughs> or I would say uh, guess guess they'd guess like 16 and because <laughs> the kids have, have no, no concept idea. of age no concept, no concept of, of age. age if you and told like, me like because we're both the same age yeah, I'm, I'm turning 30 in June and are you 30 yet I'm turning 31 at the end of this month so turning 31 at the end yeah. of this month 30 wonderful 30 wonderful <laughs> but that's the thing to me I'm like we're so young and we're so vibrant and the world's so good I'm just like when I was these kids age if you were 31 one, you're you, like you're about to have a grandkid. Yeah, like, you, were, you were you were basically knocking on death's door. Yeah, like you are totally. so, so old. Yeah, and totally. I'm just like oh my god. <laughs> I was like I'm gonna be like really old and prom- but I also feel like things have changed. At least if I stay in New York, like people have kids. It's like, not weird later for you. on. Yeah. Whereas like that was always my fear. I'm like I'm gonna be like the old dad one day. Yeah. It's gonna be totally. so weird because like my my parents had me at 25. 29. No, I think they were 29. All right, I won't be my that mom, weird. My mom was a little bit older when she had me. She was 37. Yeah. But she was like 26 when she had my sister. That was the same. They like, were, I'm not an accident. We're half siblings. They're okay. two separate marriages. <laughs> and I wasn't going to say you were an accident. Oh, I get it all the time. Oh, my God. Oh, that's the but, same. Um, well, I think all parents do that. Totally. It's just fun for yeah. them to say that. I, yeah. I remember my parents got me in a great... They got all three children in one burn. Like mm-hmm. I can't remember what I did, but we were all sitting around, and I did something stupid, like I dropped something or said something stupid, mm-hmm. and then my dad looks at me and then turns to my mom like, and he's the one we wanted. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, that was good. Dad, that, that was, was good. My dad's got some sick burns. Yes, like, he's real seriously. good. Seriously. Um, but that's what. Um, but I like what you said before when you're just like not realizing you're in the good times you're not yeah. realizing you're in the well, high I can't times claim that one it's one of the only good things andy bernard i know said in the office but i know but but it's but still it's <laughs> but like it's one true. of those things because it's like i children's theater was so crazy for me and mm-hmm. it beat me down but i also loved it but yeah. it was like i couldn't wait to finish and now i like 
have so many good memories and I fantasize about going back totally. and just getting in a white van and driving and around the, the US because it's so it was like and it goes back to those old like I don't know how you feel about it but there's something great you know they call a play a play because you're playing yeah and so like when you're totally. doing this thing where you like load up like all of the sets and like the backdrops and the poles and all of your props into the car and then you like drive to the place and you set it up and you put your costume on and you do the thing it kind of just it's like the most basic like we're getting out and we're doing a play i know it's very much like <laughs> very make fun. believe totally and, it's so fun and kids to are do. so willing to do it i remember you know um i remember like you know, it's children's theater, so, like, I'm out there, I'm like, does anyone see my grandma or whatever it yeah. is? And they're like, the wolf! And, like, the wolf would be coming on behind me, and they'd be, and I'd be like, what? And they just, they're totally in it. They're, they're totally in so it. They're so in it. That's and the reason. And they'd get so crazy, too, because they'd be nuts. like, they'd be, like, during the Q&A, they'd be like, are those your real, oh, this is what we're talking about. Are those your real voices? Yeah. They thought that we were lip syncing because they'd never heard anyone sing at yeah. all, live at all like all they've they ever heard is that. auto-tune it's like tv it's like the and TV they don't thing. understand it we do you know how many kids wanted to move to camelot they were like this camelot place what? is it nice like, like how do i how does one seems good how does one apply to be in camelot and we're just like no because these they have no idea they're like yeah. oh well they say they live in camelot that's obviously yeah. a place that we can all go to but kids are also like they are they are always willing to jump in but they're always like if it's not, if they don't believe it, they do not believe it, and nope. they will not give it to you. No, they will not. That's one of the reasons <coughs> that they're forgiving. That's but one of the reasons skeptical. that the evil knight became French and became like. I remember like the director coming back like halfway through the run. Uh -huh. He like met us in a city. He's like, I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna see how you guys do. Mm -hmm. And he, we got off, and he's like, You guys added, and like so much. <laughs> It is so ridiculous yeah. because exactly we were playing and yeah. we're just like this works, this doesn't work, mm -hmm. and then I'm like oh let's just add some crazy um, like just, just we had a lot of slapstick, totally. a lot of like falls and stuff because oh, kids would think it was fun. Yeah, because they laugh their butts off of that stuff. They really, really. But do. even and that's I guess why I like working. It's part of why I like working at the office so much. The office musical parody, I should say, because otherwise it gets confusing. Yeah. But um. You know, that's why I like working there so much is because, you know, it's based on this TV show that I love, yeah. you know, and I loved it for a long time um, beforehand. And I always said when I moved to New York and people are always asking, like, oh, what's your type? What's your type? Um, people were confused because I sang legit soprano stuff, like high soprano, but I also did comedy. And that isn't usually like the comedic yeah. roles are not usually high sopranos they are usually like belters if you're a lady. And um, so they were always sort of like, I don't know what to do with you. And they're like, so like, what would your type be? And I was like, if The Office were a musical, then I would be like Pam. <laughs> and then? And then like seven years later. <laughs> and it was cool because, you know, they had auditions for it. But Bob and Tobley McSmith, the writers, they, um, this is like their seventh or eighth parody musical yeah. of like a beloved TV show. Um, and so they didn't have a script yet and they wrote it once they cast us. And so they wrote the roles for the original cast. Like the music was written specifically, you know, Pam was written as a legit soprano cause I was a legit soprano. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. You know, we just, we got to be part of creating like the musical versions of these like beloved characters. And it's funny because now, you know, we've had a couple of cast members leave to go on a 
tour or um, or to go off on another project and we have new cast members come in. And I remember the first time we had some turnover, they looked at the script and we were like, oh, there's whole bits in here that are in the show that aren't in the script now yeah. because we just added them. And as we put it in our first rehearsals after we started getting new cast members, like, is this canon now? This is canon. We created this thing. <laughs> it happens like every night or at least like yeah. some version of this happens, you know, because the show changes. There's parts of the show that uh, that are a little uh, that change every night because we can and yeah and wanna, whatever as you said you're playing you're yeah and, fun. Then, and that's what's great is that's it? what's fun about comedy totally. also versus versus doing like yeah. dramas you're like i can just like have fun it with is this, hard. try to hit a different way it is hard too you know um because in a show like i mean you know once you start playing it's hard to quit yeah. um but there are places in the office where like you know you know comedy like you have to be tight with it yes like time like timing is so important and especially like you know if you're doing um like a film or like a film sketch or um, like a web series or something like that, you know, you can cut it. Yeah. You can cut. And the comedy is always in the cut. In theater, it's all about the pace. Oh, and yeah. there's pace, obviously, in the cut uh, of like a filmed anything. But like in theater, you have to edit yourselves. Totally. And so you, you have, have to, to know when that is. You have to feel it in the moment. You're like, oh, totally. fuck, I'm losing them. And, I'm doing stuff. And what's so crazy, and I've never done a long run of a show like this at all. Like yeah. I've been doing, I just surpassed my 200 show mark, which is insane to me. Yeah. I I don't know what else I've done in my life more than 200 times. I don't know. Um, but like, you know, uh, the show never feels the same. Yeah twice and the audience never feels the same twice no totally and and like i said it's the longest run i've ever done of a show but usually in any in any show like especially if it's a comedy you know the laughs come you know where the laughs are going to come with this show it's a parody and it's packed nine seasons of references in a two-hour show and it's Does it you can tell the level of fandom that's in totally. the audience. That's if what I was just like, going to Sometimes, ask, yeah. sometimes there is a sometimes there's an audience that you can tell they love Jim and Pam. Like yeah. it's a, it's somehow they all know that all the Jim and Pam fans are coming that night because the you can feel them like sigh with you and like laugh oh with you and whatever. God. And then you and then there's like people who get like the really because there's like you could enjoy the show. I've had plenty of people come to see the musical who have never seen The Office and they have a great time and then they're like, I'm going to go watch it now actually because you made me want to watch it. Yeah. Which is a great compliment um, to the writing of it's the also musical. It's also interesting that they went to see the musical parody without Usually it's because there's it. like a friend or because someone, so usually there are couples or groups uh, of, yes. of friends and if it's a couple, usually they're both diehard fans and it's like they're, they're Jim to each other's Pam. Yeah. Or... Um, one of them loves The Office and the other one has never seen it. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so that's Does it get kind of like funny. almost Rocky Horror-like with – like do, does the audience like shout shit out and like kind of get kind of interactive? It depends on the audience. And honestly, there was a period of time where we did 9.30 shows on Friday nights and those shows – they could get a little rocket. Well, they had a couple. They, they had, you had, they had some had time after work to kill exactly. to kill time. That's after a work. long happy hour. Yeah, a very to long then happy come hour. Come to the office. Um, but yeah, it it really depends on it really depends on the audience, and you know sometimes there um, some audiences get the really deep cut references because there's yeah. some deep ones in the show that like people. You like have I'm to a be, very casual office watcher. Yeah, there like, are I've some seen things, episodes, but I'm not like. Yeah. I haven't reached a level of 
the the cult fandom. Totally. And I need to get into it because my little brother, this is his favorite show. Yeah. He quotes it every single day. He watches it all the time. Yeah. It's his favorite show. And I feel like for me, I'm very selective in my fandom. Sure. And because like... I already had those shows mm-hmm. for me where they're like, oh, The Office. That's just that show that you watch over and over again and you've seen every episode a thousand times you watch yeah. it over and over again. And I said, no, 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 no. That's It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia for yeah, me. Yeah, I was going to say. That's what I've watched every episode, every episode of a million, a million times. times. Yeah. And it's like... But so it's because of that I would like, I almost felt like I was cheating, like getting totally. into the office. Also, like anytime someone wants you to start a show and you're mm-hmm. like, there's nine seasons of it. You're, you're like, like that's, oh God. That seems very daunting. Yeah, I started watching Grey's Anatomy for the first time because I was like, I should probably see what all the fuss is about. And I like Shonda Rhimes. Yeah. And I'm like four seasons in and I'm like, oh God, I have 10 to go. <laughs> and no, I'm like, I don't know if I can do it. Much. But It reminds me of watching like General Hospital with my mom mm-hmm. who's been watching it for 40 years and she gets so mad. <laughs> at me because it's literally been on like, for like 40 50 years and i'm like who's that Ugh. and she'll like pause and I have to tell <laughs> like, like tell you like, like the million backstories and i'm like you want me to sit and watch it with you and yeah. she's like but i have to explain to you like <laughs> the last 20 years of this character's yeah. arc and i'm like oh yeah okay well but it's it's been really cool and i mean with the office like i loved it you know i feel like people our age were watching it when it was coming out. It was, and well, because we were, like, in high school and college yeah, when it, I like, remember, like, started se- being a thing. Yeah, I remember, like, when I was a freshman in college, people were having, like, watch parties for yes. it. Yes, yeah, same. Um, I did not go because I was like, oh, I'm tired. Uh, I was in college and I my major was, like, really, really busy. <laughs> I was, like, always what? at rehearsal or whatever, so. <laughs> See, I was just drunk. <laughs> like, you know, but there you go. I just spent my first two years of college, like, <laughs> heavily poisoning my body. That's all I did. But you got out of the way. I did. I got, got out of the way. I did all of my living, like all of the drunk party craziness. Mm-hmm. Like by the time I turned 21, I was like, I'm done. Oh, yeah. I don't want to do it. I'll, like, <laughs> I'll give it to 22. But at 22, I was like, I am finished. This is yeah. stupid. Yeah. I am so done with it. Well, kudos to you. That's I why I think we need to lower the drinking it. age. <laughs> That's why we need to lower the legal drinking age to 18 because nothing that happens, not nothing, but. In the grand scheme of life, we mm-hmm. now know as wizened 30-somethings that, like, you don't do anything that important between 18 and, like, 21. If you can vote and you can fight your, for your country, I don't know why you can't have a drink. Exactly. You should totally <laughs> have a drink. But also, you can get the drinking done. And then yeah. by the time you're 21, 22, you then can start being a productive member of society <laughs> yeah. instead of, like... Well, I was talking with some people the other day about how, um, like, my friend Shira was in, in the army in Israel. Because they all have to serve for two you years. You have to, yeah. And um, I was like, I don't necessarily think you need to serve in the military, but doing some sort of social service. One, most people don't know what they want to do when they're 18, and so they just waste no time and money. And, I shouldn't have spent my first like, two years in college. I should not have been in college. Yeah. There was, I was doing nothing. Mm-hmm. I was barely going to class. Yeah. I mean, I was going to class, but it was like, you know, so- I got like sorry, C's mom and dad. Oh, well, they know. They didn't pay for it. It's fine. This was this was my own. This was on your own dime. This was on a lot of student loans. Good. This was stupid. They co they co-wrote it or whatever. Co-signed. You call it. Co-signed it. They co-wrote my loan. No, they knew it was. It was well, that was also me not knowing what I wanted. Yeah, to Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I've always been a weird kid, and I basically knew what I wanted to do, and I know that that makes me weird. I know. Isn't that we are weird people for kind of knowing? <laughs> totally. what, but then I like. Well, you wanted to be when, a marine biologist. I did want to be. I still do. But, <laughs> but it's funny because that's how things change. So you, let's go back. So you yeah. come, you leave, 
Kentucky. Oh, yeah, I you come move here. here. Work, mm-hmm. work, 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 work. Um, and then like, so now you're having this great job where you're like on like the Doing biggest off Broadway show that everyone's super pumped about. Yeah, I saw weird. your Times Square. Oh man. Thing. The Times Square billboard. Freaking weird. My first thought, I was like, ah, Taylor got a Times Square billboard before me. (laughs) Well, and that was funny because um, we had a new cast member starting that day. So we'd all been in rehearsal and we just like stayed at the theater um, after rehearsal before we had to go on. And we had like a dinner break and I texted our social media PR person, Jenna. Yeah. And said, hey, like, um, because the guy that was starting is a really good friend of mine. Um, He's taken over for the, uh, he's a vacation swing for the Creed Toby track. And um, I was like, can I post, like, about Matt joining the show? And she was like, oh, yeah, we're going to post soon. Also, check your email. And she had emailed all of us. They didn't tell any of us it was happening. Oh, my God. And they emailed us, like, the entire company, like, every designer, all of the producers, everybody. And it was, like, pictures of the billboard. And she was like... She was like, congrats, guys. We have this billboard in Times Square. And then she texted me because, like, I do social media. Like, you know this about me. Like, yeah, I've yeah. done social media marketing in the past. She was like, can you go take some pictures and videos? I was like, and I, I didn't, nobody else had seen the email at this point. She'd sent it, like, 10 minutes before. I text everybody. I'm like, guys, read your email. Meet me outside this bill, like, off, like yeah. next to this billboard Just next to the TKTS Square, yeah. booth. And I, I swear, I mean, there's, I have videos of it that I'll, I put up on Facebook and I'll, probably keep on my phone forever but like it was a it was like right above the tkts booth right above um the old spongebob theater yeah and um it was on a loop it was playing on a loop in a video and it was like it was a picture of sarah who plays michael scott and then it was a picture of me and tom who played jim and then it was a picture of michael santora who plays dwight and it had all of the quotes from like mashable and like all this stuff and then where the theater was and it just played on a loop with a bunch of other ads for I, I went back after the show because I was sort it's of like, I was like, this is, I was like, oh, cool. Like, at first I was like very chill about it. I was like, oh, cool. Like, I guess we have a billboard in Times Square. And then I was like, Taylor, you're on a billboard Oh, it's a Times huge Square. deal. It's, I was can like, I tell you that like, be me. in the modeling world, uh-huh. that's like such a grand step in a model's mm-hmm. life. Like having a billboard in Times Square matters so much. Yeah. Like not in not in your career, but just like internally. Yeah. It's like the you've made it stamp. Yeah. I still haven't had one. I had one in cool. Piccadilly Circus, Ooh. which is like the British Times Square. That's fancy. They would hate it if I said all my <laughs> British friends were probably like, fuck you for saying that. But it it is. It's a very yeah. popular but and no, that it's a huge deal. It was very, very weird and because very it's the cool. biggest stage in the world. And Times it was a Square big one too. Like, like we got out. It was huge. <laughs> That's what she said. I don't know. Um, heyo. Heyo. Um, but like, yeah, it was just, it was insane. It did not play for very long because um, it's so expensive. Oh, it's um, crazy expensive. But um, but it was very cool. And I um, I uh, saw a friend of mine whose show I was I was uh, giving notes on the script or whatever, and she was like. She was like, ooh, and this is Taylor. You know, she's been on a Times Square Bowl where she's introducing me to somebody. And I was like, Elizabeth, you don't have to keep saying that. And she was like, but now it's like your thing. Like, <laughs> Tony Award winning, Times Square Bowl. I was like, I don't think they're the same thing. <laughs> no, totally the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you got it. <laughs> so that's how I officially, um, I guess I should that's expect t- to be announced that way when I walk into a room now, no matter oh what. God. Times Square billboard appearing. Oh, so meanwhile, while you're building star. this amazing... <laughs> theater career where now you are a Times Square billboard so person you were such a, like a 
a filmmaker. Like you, you're like a self-taught filmmaker in the meantime. Yeah. Like so you have this web in series. Well, I mean, not in yeah. I don't even know how how as well, creatives feel... we is it spare time? I don't know how there we talk about time. Time, time is not, in other times, it's a weird concept. In times where no one's paying you, you yeah, you, you do your own thing, and, and you develop this amazing web series called "You're the Pest." Thank you. Which was so fun. I still have like pictures from the premiere. The premiere, of that. yeah. <laughs> Zach came to the premiere after he had been at a really fancy model party. It yeah. was always oh, fashion week. It was fashion it was week. Fashion I left week. fashion week he, and came he right left, here. Guys, this is the type of human Zach is. He <laughs> left a swanky fashion week party to come to the premiere of my tiny web series. But it was awesome. And there I'm, was karaoke. There was karaoke. <laughs> there was karaoke. Well, you know, it's New York role actors. You gotta have karaoke. But um but yeah, no, I think honestly, I don't think the office would have happened the office uh, like booking the Office of Musical would have happened if I hadn't taken so much care and time because I learned a lot, not only as, um, not only just learning how to produce something, um, it also taught me a lot about, about comedy in general, yeah. you know, cause I had, I had moved here and I started, I booked a, a national tour and I did that for a couple of months and then I gigged regionally for about a year after that. And then I came home from, a gig in Wisconsin and I was like I feel I'm doing the thing that I came here to do but I still don't feel very fulfilled and I don't know why and I was like I want to stay in the city for a while and see what's up and people had told me because I had been doing a lot of um com com comedic Comedy, com like comedy comedy things not yeah. like comedy because I feel like when you say comedy it means like stand up and improv and stuff I've I been know. doing like I'd been doing like comedic plays and like Musical comedy, like the comedic musical comedy, not just like, you know, whatever. Anyway, I sound yeah. like an idiot. You know what I mean? You're trying to be, no, you're trying to be reverential to people who do stand up. Yeah, and like stuff, it's, which different. I it's totally, different. It's totally, totally, totally different. Because I, even when I did musical comedy, I was like, I don't want to call myself different. a comedian because then I feel like. Because then I feel like a I'm disrespecting <laughs> Jerry like, Seinfeld or something. Totally, like totally. Um, so, yeah, so I came back and somebody had been like, you should look into doing, have you ever taken improv or whatever? And I was like, no. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to try to, I'm going to stay in the city. I've been like, I hadn't even moved into like an, a proper apartment. You know, I still, I moved up here with a suitcase and a backpack and then yeah. slowly like accumulated sweaters, like because I'd moved here in the summer and, <laughs> you know, I would go home. And so eventually I was moving around in Ubers instead of just on the subway, but I didn't have an apartment and I wanted to put roots down and like f figure out how to live in New York. And so I was like, oh, I'll take I'll take improv. So I started taking improv at UCB and then I started taking sketch. And that's when um, my writing partner for You're the Pest, Jasmine Romero, who now works for Gimlet Media. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> um, she um, she and I it was like we just long story short, had a light bulb moment and came up with the idea for the show. And we were like let's figure it out because we'd never written anything. Yeah. And we were both tired. You know, we wrote it to have roles for ourselves at, at first. Um, and then it sort of grew into a different thing. And we were like, oh, I think, like, this could actually be a really good show. And she was like, it's going to take a lot of work to produce. And I said, I can do it if you are, if you just want to focus on the it, writing. Yeah. yeah. And so that's kind of how it all happened. But we started writing the show back in 2000. 14 
And then we abandoned it for a while and then came back to it in 2015. And then it sort of took on a little life of its own. And we shot the pilot later that year, released it in 2016. And then it took, I mean, you know, like oh, when it's, you it's, produce your own stuff, you know, finding the money and, and I was also you, learning how to yeah. do it all. Like I didn't have a tribe yet. Of Not people. only that, just creating in general. Everyone always, anytime you guys see like a new show come out mm-hmm. on Netflix or something like that, it's been worked on for a minimum of two years <laughs> before so, you've yeah. seen it. So it's, it's like, just because there's so many things that go into it. There's a million things. There's a million thoughts. It's such a bigger beast than you think it is. Like when you get this little video on your computer, on your TV, mm -hmm. it seems so simple and so streamlined. Mm -hmm. You have no idea how hard it is just to get even usable audio while you're shooting. (laughs) It is fucking insane. Even just what's on the page, you know? Yeah. Because, and and it was part of why, and I guess we can go back to talking about web series in general, Every once in a while, I would look and be like, well, how are we going to solve this? Like, well, this doesn't – this we didn't have this happen in the script or earlier in the script. So just so and they the, know, the, the premise of, oh, of yeah. You're the Pest the is that you and uh, – well – it's about two you former and friends. Two former friends. One's like a mm-hmm. beauty queen and one's more like rough and tumble. Mm-hmm. And they used to be friends and then kind of weren't friends. But their dads owned an extermination business mm-hmm. together. And then they both died. In a freak accident. In a freak accident. <laughs> and it's found a com- out. It's a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Death is funny in comedy. Um, and then these two um, unlikely pairs suddenly now own this business yeah their dads their dads leave them them the business yeah Yeah. and um and so they kind of have to figure out i mean long story short they kind of have to figure out how to run it and in general i would say like you know i like writing a lot about family things because family is such a universal word but it means something different to every single person who talks about it so it's kind of about family and i think a lot of people in new york use the phrase friends are the family you choose for yourself and that's so true in new york and so um with these two characters you know it's about that but also about like they're at the age where the thing that they always dreamed of doing is they've already accomplished or it's no longer a possibility and what do you do once that once you're faced with that. And I think that that's like a lot of times when people hit 30, they're like, oh shit, what am I doing with my life? And so I kind of wanted to tackle that in a non-romantic way because that's usually what people write for women is rom-coms. And this which is not is, a rom-com. No, which is great. Yeah. If anything, I remember I think, that was something that you were very passionate about yeah. even when um, me and Karen were developing our pilot and our, well, it started off as a pilot, became a web series. Well, yeah. When we were writing and you were producing for that, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that was something you were very passionate about that I liked because I remember we had this whole backstory mm-hmm. arc where we used to date and we mm-hmm. did this thing and then we broke up, but we had to work together mm-hmm. because, but, and then I remember like the first writers meeting, you're like, why do they have to have dated? <laughs> you're like, why can't they just friends working yeah. together and it blew me and Karen's mind because we're like because we're a boy and a girl on screen there exactly. has to be some sort of at least past romance and it's yeah. like there doesn't There's, yeah. these are like tropes that were like been, been drilled into yeah. us for so long totally and we and when Karen and I started writing we found ourselves doing that exact thing. We're yeah, just like, it's hard to well, not. there has to be a reason. We're a boy and a girl hanging out. And mm-hmm. she was, and I remember you were like, do you and Karen have a past romantic relationship? <laughs> and I was like, no, we're just friends. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You could just be friends. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. 
I guess we can just be friends. Yeah. It's so funny, too, because I had, you know, we released the pilot in 2016 of You're the Pest. And then, long story short, we didn't shoot the rest of it until the end of 2017. And we released it, basically finished releasing it this time last year. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but once we released the pilot, there was a little, a little bit of bits of conversation on Twitter about, uh, we're, um, we're Alex and Marissa, the two characters, yeah. going to get together. And I was like, no. It goes right to that. And, <laughs> and I don't understand how in all of TV and filmmaking, it goes right to that. Well, and that's, <clears throat> I think, I was thinking about this on the train today. I think, obviously, I think about it a lot. But, you know, roles that are written for men in any capacity, the sky's the limit. Yeah. You know? And... It's strange because it seems, and and this is before, you know, there's a huge women in film movement and and a huge push in a lot of arenas to get uh, diverse voices heard and get their things seen. So more and more we're seeing that, but still people have a very limited view of what they think a woman can do yeah. and, or, or a person of color or, or a member of the queer community, you know? And I think one of the big things, you know, when, uh, in the last couple of years, since, um, you're the pest has been such a huge part of my life. One of the things that, uh, another one of my writing partners, my co-star in, in you're the pest, Audrey Dijeralami, she and I write together. And one of the things she said was, and this is why we work together is that, she wants to create work, and so do I, where characters who are women or people of color or members of the queer community, where those qualifying attributes about them are not the focus of the story. Oh, yeah. Because so many, I cannot tell you, gentlemen writers of the world, a woman can be complicated and have opinions about things and be a complex, they can just be a complex a complex person and not have been sexually assaulted. Yeah. That is not oh, the yeah. only way to make a woman interesting. Not to um, uh, you know? spoil anything, but even just this last week in Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. I remember, I mean, this oh, comes God. out after this, but mm-hmm. this p- previous week, everybody, I know the new one was last night because this comes out Monday, but previous week, there is this huge thing that got major backlash oh, totally. as it should have because mm-hmm. basically one of the characters said something to mm-hmm. Sansa the hound we all watch Game of Thrones I can see use their names spoiler 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 fast blah, blah, forward blah, blah. fast forward 30 seconds if you don't want to hear it um, <laughs> but the hound had said to Sansa if you had come with me he's talking like back in season three mm-hmm. none of this would have happened to you you would have not had to deal with Joffrey you would not have gotten raped by Ramsay mm-hmm. none of this would have happened and then she went on this weird thing that was not written by a woman. Oh, I can tell you much totally about wasn't. how she was like, but I'm happy all that happened to me because it made me the woman I am today. And you were just I'm like, just what? Like, no woman is just like, you know what? It's a good thing I was raped yeah. and assaulted and no. kidnapped and beaten. And you're like, no. Game of Thrones. Not. Game of Thrones. I love Game of Thrones I in do so too. many ways. I think it's 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 an incredible feat of filmmaking it and is. and everything but i feel I, like they're rushing to tie up all loose rushing, ends and they are they're just also, jumping forward to shitty conclusions totally. and weird, like with sansa they're just like all right let's know. tie this in a bow real yeah. quick and you're like what yeah and also just you know i i never have read the books and i know they are based on source material but this happens so many times in any kind of 
of, you know, I remember um, there's a show called The 100. I know I the show. I haven't 100. seen it. But yeah. I think it's on this show. And there was a fame, like there was a famous um, lesbian couple on the show. And one of, a spoiler, 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 I guess. I don't watch the show, but I remember reading about this. I have a rule on this podcast this. where everyone knows that if it's been out for more than one year. Oh, it's definitely I don't been even, out for more than a year. I don't even say spoiler. Alert. Okay. I'm like, you know, you had a, I'm, I give everyone one year Rookie to mistake. watch stuff. Yeah. I've had whole episodes where we've just described what happened in The Sopranos, <laughs> like season by season. So if, um, if you didn't see it in a year, sorry. There's, sorry you're not allowed you. to spoil it. Yeah. Anymore. Um, but basically there was a huge backlash because they needlessly killed one of these, uh, one of the, one of the women in this couple, um, after they had just consummated their relationship for the first time. And it was a completely unnecessary killing, but it re it reinforced this idea that, that, um, that queer characters are disposable and especially after they've had such a victorious moment. And that's, I think going back to what Audrey said I would just, I I long for the day where where Wonder Woman can come out and everybody can be excited because it's a badass superhero film. Yeah. And that it's not because it's a woman. Yeah. And and it and is. It was an incredible film. That no, was great. But but like even even today at the screening, you know, that I was telling you about, um, the creator of the show, Misha, and I, you know, she's also a director. I cannot tell you how many times people look at us and they're like, we're, well, we're trying to make a diverse team. So you're a woman. I know. And I'm like, I will take it because I, I want to, but it also, it's still, it's like a, it's a shitty feeling to just well, yeah. be a check, a check mark. A checked box. You know? No, it is. And it's like, and it sucks. Cause you're almost like when you're talking with, they're like, well, no, I still want you to have diverse like casting rooms. I still mm-hmm. want you to have diverse writing rooms and diverse casts. And I don't want you. <laughs> it's almost like, no, I want you to have a diverse people. I don't want you to like know that the reason you're doing it isn't because you don't believe in these other people. Right. And that's what it kind of feels like sometimes. Cause mm-hmm. you're kind of like, no, you should want me because I have of the perspective of the voice. Totally. Rather than you are checking the box. Totally. And it sucks because at the time it's like, Sometimes I feel like it's just the way things mm-hmm. sadly move forward is mm-hmm. like, as you said, you're like, listen, I'll take it. Like, I have to yeah. just because even though if you're doing the right thing for the wrong reason, mm-hmm. in a couple of years, if you keep doing the right thing, it'll just become the, the norm and the thing. And yeah. we don't have to talk about it. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be I just, a thing. I look forward to the, the day that that is the new normal. There is one show. Mm-hmm. So I talk uh Again, I'm a straight white man, mm-hmm. so therefore I've experienced very little discrimination mm-hmm. in my life. The only reason I, I even feel like I've just like had even the teeniest bit is because I had been an actor, and I'm so big. I'm mm-hmm. just bigger than other actors. So for me, the it was no. Well, are you you're a huge part of the body positive movement, dude. Well, yeah. So because of that, it's <laughs> that's like important. that's something I look for in yeah. film is people of size being represented, totally. just because. They're the people I stick up for. Sure. I'm like, and there's only been one show mm-hmm. that I have, like, that I can think of. I know it's happened in others. Mm-hmm. In, do you know uh, Maria Bamford? Mm-hmm. So you know Lady Dynamite, Lady Dynamite her show? Yeah. Her show, uh, her husband being a big guy, is the only show I've ever seen where there is a person of size, man or woman, on mm-hmm. screen, and the fact that they are big is not being mentioned. Yeah, at and any that's point. the thing I was thinking and about. It's that nuts to me. It's like, like this is us is a beautiful show. Yeah, but what's her name? Chrissy Metz. Chrissy Metz. Um, 
like that character, a lot of, uh, at least what I've seen of the show, I don't watch it religiously, but it yeah. seems like a lot of that, her character is based on her struggle. Yeah. And, and I just, that's not the people that I know. No, you know? exactly. And, and to reinforce that it should be, it just reinforces all this horrible stuff. I mean, I'm just preaching to the choir. This no, time. no. Like, <laughs> listen, you're literally on a podcast about body positivity. <laughs> <laughs> you could preach all the choir. No, but it's true. It's 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 anyone from a marginalized group, mm-hmm. whether it is people of size or you know different um, people of the queer community, different races, genders, whatever. Mm-hmm. Being reduced down to just the stereotype of what that is. It's exactly as you said. Straight white men get Mm -hmm. to be anything they want. Anything. Anything. And I'm included in that. So I'm not saying, listen, I became a model by mistake. So (laughs) I'm totally included in that. But it's true. And especially like when you see TV, (laughs) on TV I get so mad sometimes. Because we were watching, and I mentioned this in other podcasts, but have you ever seen Barry on HBO? Uh, no, I haven't. I I started Brilliant. it and then I like didn't. One of my favorite shows of all time. Yeah. I love it so much and I love Bill Hader. I love Bill Hader, yeah. <clears throat> and I think it's awesome. And I remember sitting watching with Laura and it's our favorite show. Mm-hmm. And she said something. She goes, I just love it because he's not like the typical leading man. Mm-hmm. And I said, I was just about to say the exact fucking opposite. Because, yeah, Bill Hader might be unconventional but he's fucking 5'11 in great shape Mm -hmm. white guy is very handsome Mm -hmm. maybe he's not Brad Pitt handsome but he's fucking Jack Nicholson handsome like he's yes he's a comedic actor he's different but I'm like no this is the same and I he makes silly faces and I said to her I was like I looking exactly how I look now being six foot six about 300 pounds I could not play this role in a bajillion years Mm -hmm. because they just wouldn't believe it it just wouldn't be a thing because it's still kind of old school mm-hmm. the way they the totally. way they think about that stuff and it's very infuriating and my favorite moments in TV shows and movies are when that thing is not mentioned totally and they're in it the whole time there's this movie called Patty Cakes mm-hmm. which I love so much Danielle McDonald uh, who is the actress in Dumplin the movie you oh, guys yeah. saw that she's in a movie called Patty Cakes mm-hmm. Dumplin's also great Dumplin, Dumplin was Dumplin's great was awesome. yeah phenomenal but um there is a movie called patty cakes that danielle mcdonald was in before then which is literally about a big girl in new jersey mm-hmm. learning to like wanting to be a rap star oh cool and all the stuff she goes through and it's awesome and there is a love scene in that movie mm-hmm. between her and another character mm-hmm. and it was the first time on film ever that i saw a love scene or a sex scene with a person of size mm-hmm. where the fact that they're big isn't brought to attention and made fun of every yeah. step of the way i've seen comedic big people sex scenes but i've never seen like a true romance love scene mm-hmm. with a bigger person and it's never mentioned yeah like it was just like oh wow yeah that's how people meet and have sex <laughs> it's just like yeah. that and they're not like oh, 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 oh got some crumbs on me or yeah, like some weird ridiculous shitty trope yeah or totally joke. and i feel like we're kind of we're just seeing these little glimpses in, inching towards this and thing. the reason we're seeing it is because i feel like it's more independent filmmakers and independent tv people like yourself, are the ones creating it. If you, like, there's so few things nowadays Mm -hmm. that are just casted. 
like someone wrote it and they're going to go cast it. Mm-hmm. One, especially in comedy, where it's usually like this was a show that mm-hmm. we wanted to tell the voice of. Mm-hmm. Like Broad City was after Broad City got picked up as from web series to TV. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's when the fucking roller coaster yeah, of totally. independent TV people started well, coming in. Well, and I think in. I think you know, TV <clears throat> as a business is changing in so many ways and that's you know, thanks to Netflix and stuff. The whole thing the is barriers, completely different. Totally, you know, um it's it's rearranging itself very quickly. Um, and, you know, um, one of the festivals that You're the Pest got into this last year, um, ITV Fest, now rebranded as Catalyst, uh, Catalyst Content Fest. Oh, um, is that what it is? It is now. When you said Catalyst Content, I was like, I don't know what that means. Yeah. When you said it earlier, ITV, yeah, yeah I know that ITV, festival. ITV Fest. Is this the first year they're under that new name? Yeah, so they just got, they just moved. Interesting. And it, like last year we went and it was one of the most like magical experiences that I had. Like I, I, we had just opened the office musical parody and I, I called that. It was like the second weekend. God bless the producers for letting me out. But I was like, I have to go pitch this show because they had a huge marketplace. Yeah. Um, it was sponsored by HBO and the television Academy and they, invited all of these like TV execs and distributors and everything. And they basically were just like, these are our official selections. Who do you want to meet? And they set yeah. up the meetings for us. That's and I'm amazing still, it's in, that they did that. It's insane. And like, normally when you go to a festival, you just release your film and then and you people, like try to, people come and you like it. just sit there with your badge on smiling and yeah. just hoping someone and comes like, up trying, and talks to you. And trying to like and give out like flyers. Yeah. So that people will come to your screening and there's not like 12 people. I know. And so, like, and so it was just, it was an incredible weekend. But what I learned there, and because it was something I'd sort of thought already, is that now that TV is changing so much, and now that places like Netflix have the ability to produce so many shows, yeah, um, you know, huge shows kind of subsidize smaller shows. And so it makes it more possible. It makes it, it, it sort of, I guess, mitigates the risk of taking on a show that isn't going to be like a tried and true thing you don't know that it's going to be you don't know it's going to have like 80 million viewers you don't know it's going to be the office you don't know it's going to you don't know it's going to be the office yeah um you know i hate big bang theory but but that show gets viewers and so everyone is looking for a formula like that what can get what can get us the most eyes and so something like netflix is like you know we'll have an orange is a new black or we'll have a kimmy schmidt or we'll have one of those shows that can sub like that can sort of make up for the fact that this other show like i can't think of anything right now like um um you 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 did hard picking Netflix because Netflix is actually yeah, like, one of those. It's like you know one of the I few mean. streaming services where I'm like, ah, oh, no, they're all pretty solid. Like they're all pretty actually. solid, but like, but like, as far as like a guaranteed viewership, like yeah. it's not going to be so widely appealing because it's going to have a very niche audience. Totally. And so, like those huge shows make it possible for a more niche audience, you know, to yeah. to have something where they feel like they're being represented. And so now. They don't have ideas, so they have no. to go find people who do have ideas. Oh, exactly. And, and so, that's why, like, independent exactly. TV is such a huge thing. Totally. Everyone always knew independent film, mm-hmm. but independent TV was, like, a thing no one thought about. Yeah. Uh, independent TV were the people pitching TV to the network mm-hmm. rather than 
with the new with, and there's with a connotation. web series like indie with, indie has like a connotation that it's like less not good. good. I know, which is in But then it's also like Sundance is full of indie filmmakers. Sundance Ooh. and Tribeca are <laughs> Tribeca. just indie films. Like, that's, that's all it is. That's it, y'all. No, like. I know. There's a there's there's some weird pretensions. Yeah. And wanna know what's what makes the difference between an indie movie and a studio movie mm-hmm. is literally just the amount of money pumped totally. into it. And all of the, the resources are just completely different. And all of the big studios have Indie arms. Mm-hmm. 20th Century Fox has Fox Searchlight, which mm-hmm. only does indie films. Yep. And it's just like, no, they all, it's all the, it's all the, the whole it's all the thing. Same. And I think the thing is with, especially with the internet and with our like, the really, internet, the, the binge mm-hmm. culture of TV oh, totally. and film right now, there is such a higher demand for content. Mm-hmm. We don't and people give want a it. shit. People want their niche yeah. now, oh, which yeah. is incredible. And and to be empowered, to be able to demand your niche be represented is – I truly think that what you see on TV can shape what's possible for you and how yeah. you view yourself and the community of people that you're surrounded with, and it can change that. And, I, I mean, I'm not, like, a super touchy-feely person, but, like, I think how you talk to yourself affects how your life – like, the outcome of your yeah, life. Absolutely. Representation so, matters more than anything else. Being seen mm-hmm. does more for a human being's self-esteem exactly. than absolutely anything. Like, I'm a big member of the body positive movement. Totally. And that's literally what the message was, was mm-hmm. people of size are being seen for the first time and being appreciated for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I remember in 2008 when Barack Obama got elected. Mm-hmm. And oh, I, man. Incredible change. And it was just this huge, it was just this sweep of mindset of the whole world just going this is a possibility now. Yeah. This is a represent like this is this this, this wasn't thing a world that should have we always been a possibility. It should have like, always been there is now possible. Yeah. Like I can't remember what it was, but I saw, you know, a man talking to his son after or you know, being interviewed after Obama got elected. And I remember him saying something along the lines of he goes, I can finally tell my son that he can grow up to be president yeah. and mean it. Yeah. And like before it was just lip service. Uh, like, Elizabeth Warren, I saw an interview with her the other day, um, where she was talking somebody asked her about what she thought she could learn from uh Hillary Clinton's campaign uh, for president. And one of the things Uh, I can't remember her specific answer to that question, but the one thing that she did say, she was like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to win or like lose or whatever, but I can every single time I shake a little girl's hand at a rally or at whatever stuff you do when you're running for president, when you're shaking hands and kissing Kissing babies, babies doing all that stuff. uh, She's like, I can tell, I can look at a little girl and be like, what do girls do? Girls run for president. Which is so, ugh. you know, it changes everything. It changes I, everything. I remember going to vote at the time. I was still registered to vote in Connecticut mm-hmm. because I had fucked up, so I had to go <laughs> back to Connecticut <laughs> to vote. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember getting for Barack Obama, or was this in the last? This election? in the last election. Oh, okay. And I remember going <clears throat> to um, vote with my mother, and mm-hmm. I remember being able to stand with my mother and vote for a woman president for the mm-hmm. first time. Now. We were on fucking cloud nine when mm-hmm. that happened. The next morning, we felt way shittier. It was horrible. It was <laughs> but, a um, terrible, terrible feeling. It was, but I remember thinking, just in that moment mm-hmm. where I was like, 
this is a thing I never thought I would do. No, no, I didn't like consciously in my head. I'm like, oh, it'll happen one day. Mm -hmm. Like we all did. But like, I never thought this would be the moment where I actually get to just check this box and Mm -hmm. do this. And this is, oh, yeah. And and, and just what it did for even with Hillary losing Mm -hmm. what it did for just women's rights in general, as far as pushing forward with the Me Too movement and and like with just the accountability of men in general general. from now on. It's just like, no, we're sick and tired of it. Like Mm -hmm. and, and it's just. The fa- but uh, but I feel like that was so freeing is being able to see whether you liked her, whether you hated her, whether whatever. It doesn't the matter. The fact that a one of the two major parties in the U.S., their representative, their candidate for president was a woman, mm-hmm. was just changed the whole country's mindset. Totally. Because now what happens is there's several women. There's at least uh, there's Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Kirsten Gillibrand. Uh, um, uh, uh, what's her name from Klobuchar mm-hmm. and it's like so there's at least four women running for president yeah. right now mm-hmm. and it's so much before it was just like this crazy thing and totally. they're like oh the only reason it's even getting in because it's Hillary and she's like legacied in where now it's just like no there's Doesn't four matter. women like, no one's mm-hmm. thinking about it like no mm-hmm. it's like it's well and also you kind of have to point out like when people say stuff like that all of them are. Yeah. Like, it's it's a country... We're getting into politics, but like... I know, I know. But like, know. but you know, I mean, it's, uh, people don't blink twice when it's a guy. I know. And, and that's like, you know, going back to the whole TV thing, people, like, dudes are always at... They're always saying like, oh, you know, like... I just don't know if I can identify with, with, a, like with a female lead or how do I write a female lead? And I'm like, one, I loved James Bond movies when I was growing up. I felt perfectly fine like watching a male protagonist go through things i had no trouble relating to him because i'm a human being totally two if you're looking to write a female character and you don't quote unquote know where to start write a male character and switch it to a female just just like change it to female pronouns because at the end of the day we're all humans and we all need and want the same things there was a great meme like two years ago Mm -hmm. like that was just called men writing women Mm -hmm. and i can't remember how it was and all it was was just tweets of like guys trying to describe female characters and always would touch upon like you know she's like she's strong but she's been through stuff and she's beautiful yet edgy and and you're just like you're just making up weird names it's why i hate i shouldn't say hate i don't hate it because i think it's i'm glad that this is something that people are looking for but i i don't love the phrase strong female lead because it Mm. doesn't mean anything i know because strong means something different to everyone and And you um, don't write strong male lead you just write lead you You don't even write male you you just just write write lead. lead and then you tell you tell what his hopes and dreams are or the things that he wants to accomplish yeah and and people people try to assign words to women um and some and they just kind of usually don't really mean anything you know like strong or quirky or um or been through things i know like, like so, okay but what things that was something that karen and i went through because i even asked because she'd been writing for a long time mm-hmm. and when we were working on our web series that never happened um <laughs> it was my first foray into like writing mm-hmm. like since since my like college screenwriting class yeah. like and i remember that we didn't know i didn't know how to write like 
anyone. Mm-hmm. So the way I wrote every single woman, the way we wrote every single character mm-hmm. is we picked a person we knew and then we literally just wrote that person. that person. And in doing so, didn't realize we were creating these great characters mm-hmm. that seemed so like you know, finger quotes, complex and crazy. And we're really like, nah, that's, that's Pat. Like Mm -hmm. we just fucking wrote him into the scene. I know. Haven't seen him in a long time. I know. But just because (laughs) it's like, it was like, oh, that's better. We don't have to do that. And we and since we did it for like men and women, I felt like our characters were like really good. But that's it. That's why they say, write what you know. Yeah. And, and, and to go back and like bringing it back around, I guess to, you're the pest. Like, I don't know anything about being an exterminator. Exactly. But I do know what it's like to roll up your sleeves and work hard at something when you're trying to figure out what your life is. And yeah. so in that way, I did write what I know. I just did a lot of research to find out what it goes into exterminating bed bugs. Exactly. You know? And that's what's fun about about being a writer, you know? Now, before I let you go, have okay. you ever had bed bugs? Have you had to deal with <laughs> Is this show, is this show, was was this idea, were you um, dealing with a cockroach problem and went into I it? wasn't. Actually, the show came about because um, Jasmine, my writing partner for You're the Pests, and I were at brunch at The Strand, which is now reopening. Um, not oh. an not an ad. Not an ad. Um, I didn't like the strand. <laughs> me, me. But then they either. got then they got closed for like they got closed health reasons or some yeah. crazy shit. So I was like, huh, Yeet. guys, I was right. But now they're reopening. I'm <laughs> yeah, sure they're reopening. Be it's been like six months. Anyway, um, but we were having brunch there, and I had been reading a play like a douchebag. I was like drinking coffee and reading a play like while everybody else was having brunch around me, and um, while I was waiting for Jasmine, and there were these like three really hot guys sitting next to me and when Jasmine sat down they sort of like leaned over and they started talking to us like oh are you guys actors and we were like yes what do you do and one of them was like a fireman one was like a personal trainer and the other one was an exterminator and I thought it was funny because my own preconceived notions of what an extern like I didn't expect like a young hot like no we always go right to what the tv version of all these things are and we were with you were thinking of like a dad dad balding man with his like belly sticking out of the bottom of his white dirty t-shirt like (laughs) you're hitting the nail right on the head and so I was like here's this like clean cut like hot as fuck like dude and I was like oh and then like so we were like well tell us your grossest stories and so he started telling us these stories um, and he told us some disgusting like bed bug stories. Um, and um, and then I said, well, do you know any female exterminators? And he said, no. And the light kind of went off uh, like the little light bulb. And Jasmine and I just looked at each other and we were like, that's funny to me. Yeah. Um, and so then later we assigned like their for like their past lives. Totally. Just go watch the show. Just go watch the just show. Where watch can show. where can people watch the um, show? You can check it out on YouTube or you can go straight to our website, uh com. Oh, I love it. It's yeah. so great. Thank you. This has been so much fun catching fun. up and everyone. And this Chinese food. <laughs> this ti- yeah, eating Chinese, sitting and podcasting. Um, so everyone go watch You're the Pest. Yeah, and if you're um, in New York, come see the Office Musical Parody at the Jerry Orbach in Midtown. Is it So it's not called the Snapple Theater anymore. So it used to be called the Snapple Theater Center. That's there's what it There's actually two theaters in the building. There's the Jerry Orbach where we are, and yes. then there's the Ann Bernstein. That's the floor above us. Gotcha. And that's where perfect crime is oh gotcha 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 i've been to the jerry orbach theater many many times i think i saw the fantastics there yep that was in there before us which is so crazy isn't it funny that the longest running uh play of all time you guys 
Yeah, perfect yeah. crime. Yeah. You're like just downstairs doing yep. an office musical. Yep, there. yep. It was. De- it's not been lost on us. It's very oh. funny. And we hear the gunshots. Spoiler alert. But there's gunshots. <laughs> you hear the gunshots in the in the theater above us. So. Awesome. Well, go yeah. see Office Musical Parody. Go watch Year of the Past. Follow Taylor on oh, yeah. uh, at the Freckly, not it's, the, just Freckly Soprano. Yep, it's at Freckly Soprano One on Twitter and Instagram. I did not know there was a one. There's a number one. I guess okay. there's a Freckly Soprano. <laughs> what a bitch. <laughs> Stole that from you. So yeah, Freckly Soprano One. Taylor, this is so much fun. It was fun. I can't. I can't wait to to be your, your friend again. <laughs> Same right. to you. Right. We'll see you later, everybody. Bye. Incredible. Guys, it's so cool to be doing shows like this in front of just being able to talk to such inspiring people. Every time I do one of these episodes, I walk away with more ideas and more energy. This is a very selfish show. I do it so I can feed my own you know, <laughs> creative monster within. So I hope you guys like listening along with me. Uh, please follow Taylor at all the stuff at Freckly Soprano One, as we said, and follow us on social media at Zach Miko, Z-A-C-H-M-I-K-O. Uh, please uh, listen, rate, and subscribe to all the episodes. If you haven't, it would make me very, very happy. Guys, thank you so much for being a part of this. And until next week, remember to go out in the world and do big things.